0: Hi there, my name's Nathan Johnson. This podcast is called Views from the Crow's Nest, and this is the Monday Mess Hall. Well, hello listeners and welcome to another episode of Views from the Crow's Nest. This podcast is an in-house production of Fisher Jordan, which is a specialized consulting firm based in New York with emphases in strategy, analytics, and technology. You can find out more about Fisher Jordan, including our approach to delivering client value, career opportunities, and our work within our communities online at fisherjordan.com. That's F-I-S-C-H-E-R, Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N.com. The Monday Mess Hall is a series that we are trying out with a few different parameters placed around it. First, we are trying to record and release these conversations as episodes in the same day. That means that everything that you hear on the Monday Mess Hall was recorded that same Monday. Today happens to be the 20th of December, and we just had this conversation this morning. Some of our other episodes are a little bit more of your classic interview style with subject matter experts, but these here on the mess hall are a little bit more free-ranging conversations between Fisher Jordan team members usually uh, on a handful of topics or a whole mess that we haul in and discuss. We could go into more detail, but really, why delay any further? Let's get to the conversation. Welcome to the mess hall here on Views from the Crow's Nest. With me today are two other Fisher Jordan team members. First, uh, once again, my co-host, Boaz Salik, founder of Fisher Jordan. And uh, also with me today uh, is Anushka Kana, one of our uh, Fisher Jordan analysts here. Hi, you two. Welcome. Hi, Nathan. You, Nathan. How are you? Okay, thank you. So on the plate for today, uh, for what we're going to cover, we're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, the, the looming specter of inflation here in the U.S. and um, potential ripple effects of that out into the broader marketplace as well. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, some developments in the crypto world. And then we're also going to wrap up with a look at, more, I guess, a little bit more of a philosophical question about Internet connectivity um, and whether it's getting to be time to think of that a little bit differently. So I'm excited to talk about those uh, with you, too. As always, uh, just setting the the parameters of what we're doing here. Um, This is not intended to be a answer session. I mean, if answers come up, great. But the main thing that we're interested in doing is just fostering conversation. With all these topics that I just listed, uh, we all spend maybe a couple hours or so um, getting familiar, familiar enough to discuss it but uh, we're not looking for expertise but we certainly are interested in perspectives so that's kind of the the gist of what we're doing on the monday mess halls um, here on views from the crow's nest and that's what we're doing here today again so let's start with inflation in very brief uh, the fed has decided to among other things curb uh, its bond buying to try to dampen the rising consumer prices we're seeing um you're seeing that bearing out in different ways right uh we previously had thought that inflation might be transitory as uh, everything kind of started up once again after covid um but fears are growing about inflation becoming more entrenched so a couple questions that we can think about and you don't have to respond to these in order just kind of wherever you you feel like you want to jump in um One, do we think that the measures the Fed are taking, including um, scaling back their bond buying, do we think that's enough? Um, Do we think inflation will continue anyway? I'd like to hear what we think will happen to interest rates. And just in general, do you feel like this is a a harbinger that we're heading into a repeat of 2008? Um, So feel free to jump in on any of those uh, as you feel interested.
1: So, uh, as Nathan already mentioned, like, uh, Fed took our statements and uh, mostly believed and also really spoke about the inflation being transitory. So, everyone thought it is only maybe because uh, the pandemic uh, era is kind of coming to an end, market would be reopening, and there would be some supply-demand imbalances, and that's why it would be transitory in nature. But looking at the period currently, it just looks more entrenched. Of course, it is really uh, sort of broad based now and looking at the numbers, it looks like it is going to be stronger than expected and not as transitory as they were saying. And I also feel like they are also realizing that and that is showing that in their actions which are coming in the right direction to curb the inflation and sort of put a hold on the extra easy policy they had during the pandemic, I think which was one of the losers they had in a couple of years. So I do think that would you know, be a step in the right direction. And they do predict that they would be closing with inflation closer to 2.5% by the end of next year.
2: So I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, an article recently written by one of the FJT members that actually projects uh, that inflation will actually start declining. So I I wouldn't wouldn't say that inflation continuing is necessarily the consensus. It it does seem to be where the balance of of the um, opinions lie right now is that inflation will continue to accelerate. but there, there is a, a significant number of, of um, economists and observers who actually think it is still transitory, um, including some of the modeling that we've done here at FJ. And there are some things pointing in that direction, right? If you look at, at you know, yields on tr- on 30-year Treasury bonds, they're they're still below, well below two percent. Um, you wouldn't see that if inflation, if inflation was a real danger. Now you could argue. The reason the yield is low is because people believe that the Fed will successfully curb inflation. Um, but the fact remains that that the yields are are much lower than what you'd expect in an inflationary environment. You also see crude oil prices kind of coming back from from their recent highs. They're now trading closer to, to the seventy dollar range compared to the low to mid 80s. On the other hand you still you know price of labor is up so there, there are some inflationary components but i would hardly say it's a consensus opinion saying saying that inflation is going to continue to accelerate
0: sure i can i can agree with that um i suppose where i was coming from with my initial statement was more maybe what i should have phrased it how i should have phrased it is that concerns are growing that it'll become more entrenched and yes a good plug for the article uh that that we published uh not that long ago actually some some unique modeling takes showing the possibility for uh inflation to trend downward it'll be interesting to see how that how that bears up
2: yeah the, the other interesting piece here is just how reactive the fed is being um hmm. you know that they, they were like all year they've been kind of sitting there and and saying like it's transitory it's transitory our models are saying it's transitory and now suddenly like in the last Mm -hmm. few weeks you see like massive tapering kind of reminiscent i don't know if you guys remember back in 2013 that they also had like a big big bond buying spree on the heels of the european debt crisis when greece was about to default in its debt and then a couple of years later they started tapering and the market went crazy. They, they called it the taper tantrum back then. So, you know, you kind of see like like a little bit of um shadow of that happening now. And in addition to that, now they're starting to talk about three rate increases next next year. Yeah. So it's just a, it's a very, very reactive stance that they're taking. So, um, you know, that alone is, could be cause for concern.
1: And even the tapering, it's not like by a minimal level or they're doing it gradually. It's actually become half of what they were doing prior to November. And I just feel like it might be because of maybe in turn for the criticism also is coming through because of this point, because it's just that they were maybe behind the curve or they were considering it as transitionary and, you know, more of, I guess action wasn't taken and now suddenly there's a full U-turn that's being taken.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing that that I always find interesting with inflation is that people act as if it's one number hmm. um, when the reality of inflation is that it's um, it impacts different segments of the population and different segments of the business population differently. Okay. Um, so if you look at Let's say the top 1% of the population, they've been experiencing inflation for for as far back as anyone can remember, certainly back before the, the 2008 economic crisis and, and all the monetary easing that, that happened in the wake of that. Uh, you see kind of massive asset price inflations, whether it's in the stock market, in the real estate market, in the debt market, luxury goods. So, so for that segment, inflation has kind of been a given. I think now the type of inflation people are looking at now maybe more applicable to to kind of a broader population, which is is obviously a cause for more concern because then, um, you know, once that cycle happens, it can be very very difficult to stop it.
1: Yeah, I believe the wholesale prices really shot up by about 10% if I'm not mistaken in the past month. So I think that's where most reaction came from.
2: Yeah, so it's it's not like inflation is something new. It's it's maybe maybe yeah. a concern, and maybe there, there's an opportunity to to do some analysis there on um, not just is there inflation, but what percentage of the population doesn't inflation yeah, exactly. actually impact. That might be yeah. a more relevant
0: metric. I, I like the way you put that, Boaz. Of it's not like there's there's just like a scoreboard somewhere that says today inflation is this. This single percentage is the only thing we have to worry about. You know, it, it's part of the overall picture, but it is definitely going to have different implications based on market sector and uh, even uh, as anushka pointed out like whether or not you're looking at things wholesale and just the the different ways that that comes to bear um so some places might not feel it as much um as others um but certainly still still (laughs) worth considering that it's a multifaceted multifaceted issue like that overall though what i'm hearing you guys say is that yes this is a is a non-trivial concern, but I am hearing a little bit of, actually more than a little bit of optimism. We might not necessarily be heading into something as long-term as what the 2008 crisis kicked off.
2: Just based on crude oil prices, I'd say, yeah. To, to me, crude oil, kind of the yellow signal on on crude is when it crosses 80, and the the red light is really when it crosses 100 uh, for Brent crude. Mm-hmm. So we're at 70. We've, we've got a little bit of wiggle room there the the big kind of new thing here is labor right so we haven't seen labor price inflation in a long time and but on the other hand we've we've never paid people to sit home and and not do much for extended periods of time before or at least in a very long time maybe since the great depression so that one's kind of an unknown we'll have to watch that one
0: well let's move on to our second topic of the day promised a little bit of crypto action crypto continues to be a wild west where not only have you had just an absolute explosion of different coins popping up and you know whether or not they're memes or not is a whole different discussion got nfts in the mix but uh in the middle of it all you've still got this really interesting concept of the, the decentralized aspect that was one of the initial and primary appeals of um of the crypto space so what we're going to talk about here today starts with an article that uh, we all read on uh this this bidding war that happened on one of several i believe 13 different um, printed editions of uh, the u.s constitution there was a bidding war on this um, but that basically came down to legacy versus uh crypto (laughs) um in in that bidding war but the the crypto representative was something called a, a a DAO or a DAO. DAO stands for decentralized autonomous organization. Um, and what we're going to talk about though, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. As as the the author of the article put it, you can think of it as um, almost like a group chat with a bank account. I want to talk a little bit about that idea today. That that same article kind of posits that. A DAO might be the LLC of the future. Uh, I'd like to hear what you guys think about what what kind of a threat, if any, things like that pose to uh, legacy finance. What comes to mind when you start to kind of look into these new entities that are starting to show up? These decentralized players in in uh, a field that has not seen this kind of competition in a while. Let's just kind of toss that around a little bit and see what we see what we come up with.
1: So, DAO, as uh, Nathan already mentioned, decentralized autonomous organizations, and also phrases likely used for them, like internet community with shared bank accounts, a group chat with bank accounts. Of course, I am no expert uh, in the world of crypto, so all this is pretty new to me, but as to my understanding, I've come to it, is that DAO is basically, could be similar to LLC, uh, coming directly to your question, Nathan, because, you know, they are of two types majorly. You Either they are for open source, blockchain-based projects where people are coming together, putting their funds together to actually achieve one project and one target, or they are coming together to make investments in other projects, right? So by the definition of that, it could be similar to an LLC. but again, the specifics, which would be the type, the structure, the rules, the governance all of that would be dependent on the group and the goals they have in mind. So I think however, all of that is really dependent and it's really subjective to the group. But I believe in case it has to take the path forward, of course, which it does still have a very long way to get a full adoption. I believe what would be important here to see also for future is how we can regulate or sort of provide some oversight of course it's decentralized so there is no intermediary like a bank or even central government or there's no oversight here so we would never be knowing if it's you know russian bots buying things through the dao or if you know again like similar to the hack in 2016 where millions were effectively stolen so just in those directions i believe there should be some sort of oversight or more looking at least in the matter before full adoption of dao is taken
2: yeah, it's an interesting um, innovation there that that's based on all the blockchain technologies that are out there. I mean, you certainly saw in this specific scenario, you certainly saw a lot of the unanswered questions with with DAOs and and just with blockchain in general come up. Firstly, the the way they they were bidding up, uh, it was a I think um, one of the original copies of the Constitution. And the bidding came down to this Dow versus um, Ken Griffin, who's one of the richest people in the world, worth about 40 billion, I think, the owner of Citadel. Mm-hmm. Um, and what ended up happening is the Dow had kind of publicly advertised that the maximum amount that they were able to pay for this, mm-hmm. uh, which is a big no-no if, if you look at auction theory a lot, Like you never wanna kind of give the other parties you never want want them to know, or even negotiation strategy, you never want them to know your reservation price. So just from the get go, they were at a disadvantage. Um, and, you know, Griffin was able to kind of exploit that. And I think it came in at like 200,000 over that number mm-hmm. and just kind of barely edged them out. So there, there's a question of transparency, right? Like everyone loves the idea of, of the transparency of the blockchain and, and DAOs and, and all these other constructs. But it's, this was one great example, and there are a lot of other good ones where transparency isn't necessarily to the benefit of, of the members of, of this uh of this DAO or of any such organization. So, you know, that requires a little bit more thought as to mm-hmm. how, how do you create the right level of transparency without giving away the farm. Mm-hmm. You know, a second thing that came up was was the idea of governance, right? So they, they kind of thought through How this organization would work up until the purchase point, but they didn't think through what would happen once it was purchased. So if they had actually won the bid and gotten this copy of the Constitution, they could have found themselves with a real governance crisis in terms of like how do we decide where it should go? You know, which museum or which private collection, and should 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 there be any like benefit to the you know to the stakeholders, etc. Like no, that was thought through ahead of time and uh i guess you could say that they're lucky in some ways they're lucky they didn't win because if they had one they could have had a real issue on their hands making those decisions after the fact and then the third one which you're actually seeing now is is given that they didn't win the bid now they have to dissolve the entity and get the ethereum tokens back to the people who donated them with which itself is actually proving to be uh, a lot more of an administrative hassle than what they anticipated so so there are kind of some real basic questions there that have obviously been thought through in a lot more detail for established organizations nathan you were using the, the analogy of an llc or you can use a corporation or whatnot there's a very well-established body of law and and body of practices to prevent those kinds of issues from arising that hasn't yet been created for uh, these more uh distributed ledger types of entities yet
0: yeah the regulation question this article was on yahoo finance by the way i don't think i mentioned that earlier um but the regulation question that it that we sort of get to through all that i think is the biggest one and once again i have to reference our our uh, article that we wrote where the the specific focus of that article here at uh, Fisher Jordan was on um, Bitcoin, but oh, I'm sorry, we wrote it on on blockchain, uh, and we've applied it to a lot of different blockchain oriented discussions that we've had, basically talking about the process that any new slash disruptive technology goes through before achieving widespread adoption. And somewhere in the middle, the early middle to mid middle we posited that you would start to see some sort of legislative um, involvement uh, either for or against the pattern of enablement i also think it's funny that uh, wyoming always seems to be one of the first to get involved uh, with the the legislating conversation on on these things i almost wonder if you could start to predict like who's gonna come after wyoming like, is Wyoming usually going to be the first one to act on these things? I don't know. But coming back to what I was trying to say is that uh, the regulation question is probably the, the most important aspect of of this whole discussion because the more you open up the playing field, I think the more you have to be careful about like who you're letting on and because not everybody's going to come on to it with the same intentions. One of the things that was referenced is, you know, what's to stop a uh, a foreign entity from starting a DAO and buying a building or something like? You you just you don't as as fun as it is to to think big. Um, unfortunately, if you want it to last, there's going to have to be some sort of regulatory oversight that steps in eventually.
2: Yeah, but on the flip side, you know. We're kind of seeing the first baby steps, you know, both on the currency side as well as, in this case, on the uh, organizational side, that, you know, these could be the first steps in completely redefining how we think about these kinds of entities. Um, and it, it could be true for business entities, but it could also be true for a lot of other types of entities like social organizations or maybe even entire government. We don't, we don't really know where it's going to lead. And similarly on the currency side, um, you know the 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 place you know blockchains are are at now is there's kind of a competition in in determining the how like how should a blockchain be structured, how should the mining get done? But um, there could be subsequent waves where, you know, where the what like the, the actually questioning the, what, what is the currency supposed to accomplish and um, you know should there be multiple types of currencies in existence et cetera? so so i think we're at the very early stages and it's going to be very exciting to see where this
1: goes and also well just looking at the level like if and again we take the talk about the article on the constitution auction just seeing uh, how in just a few days the the dow or the group of people could pull together about 47 million if i'm not mistaken together just for one auction it would like just to see how much with you know some planning and some days and full regulation like what all they could achieve and you know if they have the right intentions and right minds behind it so it just would be great to see what the future really holds
0: that's a good discussion on all that i'd like to wrap us up real quick uh, we don't have to get into tremendous amount of depth here on this but um i've been thinking about this for a while the need to potentially classify internet to think of internet uh as more of an essential resource uh or utility almost like running water and the reason why i'm bringing it up here today is because uh, wired ran this piece on uh they call it it's called smartphones or a new tax on the poor is their their title for it the basic gist of it is that the requirement for constant connectivity isn't only a fact of white-collar work Uh, not that long ago internet access was something that you kind of saw as more of a requirement in the white-collar spaces but we're starting to see that trickling down a little bit more like the requirement to continually be connected is growing but where we're running into a problem is that the resources to actually access it are not evenly distributed. Do you agree with that idea of connectivity starting to be thought of on the same par as things like running water or heat? And if you do agree with that, what are some things that that you can think of that might help to make that a more evenly distributed commodity?
2: So yeah, I I agree with the the article's basic premise that Connectivity is is now kind of a basic, not only just a basic requirement for a lot of jobs, which is true, it is, um, or even for the for people who work multiple jobs to be able to to multitask those things. But even just for day to day, you know, just things like like entertainment, which you know, which you can argue, you know, most people consume, um, staying in touch with loved ones and friends and and uh, things like that. So. Um, I don't think that part is is really up for debate. Um, the question is, what should we do about it? Um, so I can tell you, here in New York City, we uh, I'm sure we pay more than the national average for for internet services, but in a lot of places, it's still tough to actually get reliable service, believe it or not. Um, you know, uh, and and there there are probably places in the middle that where it would be relatively easy to do and then once you get out to the remote areas it becomes difficult again so uh, some of it is just dependent on kind of where you're at and, and what the economics are but um yeah overall i i would i would be in the camp that favors um some kind of national effort to put the u.s more in par with you know there's a whole host of other countries that have a lot better and and more more available free wi-fi than than we do you know finland singapore belgium denmark ireland croatia lithuania are just a few and, and there are probably another dozen others so i i would be in favor of of, a, of an effort like that
1: yeah of course like the fact that internet access or connectivity it has seeped into every part of our life uh, as boaz and also nathan you mentioned it's not just for the you know, the white collar jobs now, it has, it's actually basically in every part of the pyramid of the society. But uh, to, know, to think that, you know, the poor people uh, who were actually initially excluded from this whole process and this whole luxury as we used to think of it as initially, they are actually now spending a greater proportion of their income on this. And because of this and Also, sometimes because of the credit or sort of the background they have, they are falling prey to a lot of predatory practices. So, of course, I am also in favor of internet access or connectivity being like some sort of effort being made to, you know, it being provided at a subsidized rate or free Wi-Fi for all, as Boaz mentioned. Because something needs to be coming in the picture to actually so it for all, of course, like, and I feel like US government is making some effort towards like broadband and Wi-Fi, like in the infrastructure bill, uh, it, it just took out like a 65 billion uh, amount was carved out for the broadband and Wi-Fi bit of it. But I still feel like that is not enough to actually put it out there for the entire nation and solve the problem of connectivity as a whole. And of course, like there needs to be more Like provisions need to be made to fulfill this entire effort, and long way to go.
0: Yeah, and crucially, the thing that the same article points out is that this is not some hallmark of the gig economy. You know, this isn't this isn't just Uber drivers or 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 DoorDash drivers or something that you that you see that are experiencing this need Um, increasingly as things like even just like scheduling and co-worker communication like those are done through apps uh or through platforms like slack or, or what have you that is obviously not unique to gig workers that's more and, and more people of a lot of different uh domains go ahead anushka
1: right i was just adding up to like not only the job part but also like very much smaller and more important aspects of our life like something like healthcare messages, you know, like doses or vaccination, it's coming through government apps or government messages, like reminders for the same. And, you know, like just smaller things for that. And of course, there are countless benefits of internet connectivity and these just being a few smaller ones out of the list.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think these are good questions to be asking. And I'm, I'm glad that um, people are asking them, obviously any steps that we can make, that we can take to make the world a more equitable place, at least in this regard, are, are a good thing. And, and I hope to see more of it. That's probably enough. We can wrap up here, unless you guys had any closing remarks.
2: No, oh, it's always a good time with you, Nathan. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Boaz and Anushka. I'm glad you guys were able Thank to join you. the conversation here today. I will link all of our articles that we referenced. I'll link those in our uh, description or show notes. Uh, for this episode Um, but thanks again to you both for joining and uh, i look forward to future conversations here in the mess hall on views from the crow's nest